Sunday actually happened. And Palm Sunday, believe it or not, was on a Sunday. And uh, Jesus did ride on a donkey. It wasn't too long after he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. And uh, interestingly, not only did the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time want to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus as well. See, the problem Lazarus had was that he was living proof that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. And so they were plotting to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus. And uh, this day was not too long after Jesus had healed the blind Bartimaeus and had been anointed with expensive perfume. You first have to understand the noise, the, the crowd. I could hear they were close onto the road. And, and not just because I had great hearing to make up for my blind eyes. I mean, this was a roar. People cheering and clapping and singing. As they got closer, I, I, I tried to listen as carefully as I could, see if I could make out what they were saying. I knew that they were coming my way. See, some of us sat by the main gates most people would come and go. I know people by how they walk, whether they drag their feet or not. And every day I just sat there, waited for mercy. But I, all I could do was listen. Suddenly I realized that they cheered for him. Some grumbled even speaking his name. Others said he was the Messiah, but a handful had, had witnessed him healing people. I crawled closer to the road, afraid that I might be trampled. I, mean, I could hear that there were a lot of people coming. Is that him? Is that the teacher? Anyone? Tell me. Is it him? And someone said, Yes, it was Jesus. And to this day, I, I can't explain it, but I just yell. I yell louder than I had ever yelled. Son of David, have mercy on me. He heard me and he came over where I was. And that's what I wanted to see. And then everything I had always hoped to lay my eyes on was there before me. I followed him that day and the next day. Day. What amazed me was it seemed like the people that could see the best were the most blind. As for who I say he is, one day I was yelling for him to heal me. Now 
here we are in Jerusalem, yelling to all those who have ears to hear that he is Hosanna in the highest. He is the Messiah. I'm going to ask a question this morning. And the question is, which crowd? Which crowd might we be in? We see there blind Bartimaeus received his sight and followed Jesus and more than likely he was in that crowd that welcomed Jesus into the holy city of Jerusalem. In all likelihood there would have been a hundred thousand visitors to Jerusalem for the Passover. That was a lot of people. Certainly back then it was a lot of people. And quite possibly one of the reasons why Jesus and his disciples stayed in Bethany that night was that they couldn't find accommodation in Jerusalem itself. Of course, the Passover was also a time of great expectation for the Jews. They looked backwards into their history and they remembered how God had saved them from the oppression of the Egyptians. Remember, they were to sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the lintel of every, every doorpost of every house and the plague that was to take the lives of the sons of those in the land was to pass over every Jewish abode. And so every Passover, they came together at the appointed place, which was the temple in Jerusalem at this time, to remember their salvation as they left Egypt. But also the Jews looked forward to another time. Another time of salvation when they would be saved from the oppressors, the Romans. And of course their rabbis had searched the scriptures and found many, many scriptures pointing to this coming Messiah. And the Jews at the time that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, at least some of them were fully persuaded that Jesus was the Messiah. We know that both Ainsley and Jeanette this morning have quoted from Matthew 21. When the people sang, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. They were quoting directly from Psalm 118 verse 26. Every Jew would have known that this was a proclamation to be made when the Messiah was identified, when the Messiah came forth. And was about to fulfill all those scriptures in what we know today as the Old Testament. Psalm 113 to 118 are what they called the Hallel, not the Halal, but the Hallel, the H-A-L-L-E-L. And these Psalms, they were sung every Passover because they were a reminder of their salvation from Egypt. 
And they at the same time looked forward to their coming salvation. Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. One of the Gospels says a colt, the foal of a donkey, unbroken. When a king rode a donkey, it was a sign that they were coming in peace. And it's reflective of Zechariah 9, verse 9. It's interesting that when King Solomon was crowned, he also rode a donkey, symbolising he was a king of peace. And that was significant in the history of the Jews because King David was actually a man of war. And that, you might recall, is why God would not allow him to build the temple. And it was Solomon who built the temple. As the crowds were crying, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David! They laid their cloaks on the ground. They put these palm fronds on the ground. They waved palm fronds in the air because they recognised him as the true Messiah. And in Middle Eastern culture, the palm has always represented the battle, the victory and the peace that follows. What were the people expecting? They were expecting a king who would ride on a war horse, who would lead them to a physical or, if you like, earthly victory over those who oppressed them. And on the whole, they believed that it was the Romans who oppressed them. They didn't really perceive that it was the religious leaders who oppressed them because they were part of the system. They lived under the law and they were seeking to be righteous by living according to the law as it had been taught to them by the religious leaders. But when they sang Hosanna, they saw Jesus as the king who's going to set them free. But this king goes into Jerusalem. And what does he do? He cleanses the temple of the traitors. The traders operated in what was called the, the Gentile court. That was the only part of the temple that the Gentiles were allowed in. If they went any further, they could actually be put to death. After the, the court of the Gentiles was the court of women, and then after that was the court of Israel, and after that was the court of the priests. Nobody but the priests could go into the court of the priests. No women could go into the court of Israel. No gentle could go into the court of women or the court of Israel and of course they couldn't go into the court of priests. What the traders were doing was quite legitimate. They were exchanging foreign currencies for the coin that was needed to pay the temple tax and to pay for the animals that were to be sacrificed because when people travelled from a long distance the law allowed them to purchase their animals for sacrifice 
when they actually got to the place of worship. Why did Jesus accuse the religious leaders of turning what ought to have been a place of prayer for the nations into a den of thieves? It wasn't because the traders were carrying out the function that they were allowed to carry out by law. It was a den of thieves because what was happening was that the Gentiles were being robbed of the opportunity to get close to God. You see, there were so many trading tables that there was no room for the Gentiles in the Gentile court. And so they were shut out from relationship with God. It's interesting that on the same day, one of the Gospels says it was the Sunday, the rest say it was the Monday. That was the day he cursed the fig tree. And there are lots and lots of commentaries on the symbolic meaning of that, but one of them at least is that Jesus knew that Jerusalem was going to reject him. And you see, he cursed that tree and it died from the root upwards. And that was the problem with the religious leaders. They were rotten from the root upwards. And Jesus had said that the temple would be destroyed. And that's one of the things that angered the religious leaders so much. And so some commentators that I'm inclined to agree with them, suggests that when Jesus cursed that fig tree, it was symbolic of the total sacking of Jerusalem that was to come in AD 70. Just a few days later, the crowds had turned against Jesus. He'd been arrested by the religious leaders. They wanted him put to death. They were not able to do that under the arrangements that existed at the time given that the Romans were their overlords. So they had to get him into the Roman justice system which would facilitate his execution. Why was it that Pilate didn't agree to execute him straight away. After all, he was a self-proclaimed king. And on that day of the first Palm Sunday, the people did proclaim him as king. And the religious leaders would have been well aware of what they were saying because it was part of the Hallel. Pontius Pilate wanted to release the man. Now that's interesting because under Roman law anybody who purported to be a king was instantly put to death. So one must conclude that Pilate did not think that Jesus was any kind of threat. He did not believe that Jesus was the person he said he was. In fact at the time there was a group of philosophers they called themselves cynics. C-Y-N-I-C-S. And they were generally poor people. They generally didn't have all that many followers, but they used to walk around the land claiming to be speaking the truth. And how similar was Jesus to them for much of his life? In all probability, the reason why Pilate didn't instantly condemn Jesus to death was that he didn't believe he was actually a king and he didn't believe he was any threat. He was just another one of these mad 
cynics who spent all of their time walking through the land proclaiming that they had the truth and speaking to anybody who would stop and listen. So Pilate felt that there was some kind of injustice going on here. That this was nothing but a cynic, a man who in fact had no power and ultimately no influence over anybody. So Pilate tries to have him released. But the religious leaders, and by this time the people in the crowd were having nothing of it. In the last ditch effort to let Jesus go, Pilate says, you Jews have this tradition that on the day of the Passover we release a prisoner. And they cried out for Barabbas, which means son of the father. How ironic. They exchanged one son of the father, Father God, for another son of the father, Barabbas, who was a petty criminal. By this time, of course, the people were disappointed because Jesus had, in fact, ridden in Jerusalem on a donkey. And during the Passover, he did not prove to be the king that many had thought he was to be. He didn't have an army. He didn't suddenly exchange the donkey for a war horse. He didn't overthrow the Romans. But instead, in that last week, he preached a kingdom of a totally different kind. And when the people, in their disappointment, saw that they had an opportunity to punish him for their disappointment, they rose up against him in a different crowd. And ultimately, Pilate was too weak to do justice and caved in to the demands of the religious leaders and of the rabble that day and condemned Jesus to death. I've often wondered which crowd I'd be in. And it's so easy, of course, from our vantage point of 2,000 years of Christian history to say, of course, I'd be in the first crowd. I'd lay my cloak on the ground. I'd wave wave palm leaves in the air because I know the nature of this king. Or would I in my disappointment that he didn't turn out to be the king I wanted? Would I be in that second crowd saying, release Barabbas! Kill Jesus! Or I wonder, I wonder, would I be in both crowds? On the one hand, would I have become excited about the possibility of this Jesus who was going to set me free? And less than a week later, 
would I turn against him because it didn't turn out to be the king that I had in mind. How often do we in our own lives on the one hand rejoice and praise and worship Jesus and then when he turns out to be not quite the Jesus we had in mind, how often do we turn against him? Perhaps in small ways of disobedience or ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit whom he sent to be with us after his death. Which crowd? Which crowd? Which crowd? Would you and I be in? The first? The second? What does our own experience tell us? We're actually the kind of people who might well have been in both. One of the things we're going to have for our morning tea this morning is 